If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, here we go. Welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you on a Monday afternoon. So as U.S. President Joe Biden says, uh, this is cause for concern, but not cause for panic, which is true. But there's a lot of gray area in there. I don't think sky is falling. Doom and gloom sort of rhetoric or projections are helpful. But at the same time, obviously, complacency and apathy, I I think at this point, uh, are dangerous, too. It's maybe the double edged sword of early detection. That we've got a situation we have a lot of questions about, but it's going to take some time to answer them. Joining us uh, for some thoughts on this Omicron variant, what we know about it, what we still need to know about it, and what lessons we need to draw from this whole situation. Very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, Dr. Angela Rasmussen, a virologist at the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization, University of Saskatchewan. Dr. Rasmussen, thank you so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Rob. Uh, kind of the, the big picture view of all of this, because I, I think we're trying to walk that line between not overreacting and not underreacting. There's there's an urgency for information. There's just a, an inevitable uncertainty here. Your thoughts on where we're at? So my thoughts are that we are in a very uncertain place right now. We have news of this Omicron variant and certainly taking a look at the genomic data, um, the, the rapid increase in cases in South Africa and in the other Southern uh, African countries where this has been detected is very concerning. Um, But as you said, and as President Biden in the U.S. said, uh, this is really cause for concern and not cause for panic. Right now, we are in a very uncertain place and we're getting uh, the data that we need to, to make more accurate assessments as quickly as we can. But, you know, these things just really take time. I think everybody should take a deep breath and realize that uh, a lot of what we need to do to protect ourselves from this really hasn't changed that much. We need to keep taking the same precautions that we've taken for other variants, including Delta. We need to encourage people to get vaccinated if they haven't gotten vaccinated yet. And we need to just wait and see what happens. What to you are are some of the most pressing unsolved questions or unanswered questions at this point? Well, almost everything. Uh, Certainly, you know, as I mentioned, this is very concerning. So I think we do need more granular epidemiology data. We need to know um, of the people who have contracted the Omicron variant, how many of them are becoming severely ill? How many of them are vaccinated? Uh, When were they vaccinated? What vaccine were they vaccinated with? What is going to be the likelihood for breakthrough infections and potentially onward transmission? Uh, And that's very relevant to a highly vaccinated country like like we are here in Canada. Um, I think another real question is, is this going to be as transmissible as Delta or potentially more transmissible as Delta and how severe is the disease that this variant causes. Now, I've seen a lot of rumors flying around on social media that this is 
X more time, X times more transmissible than Delta, or this is more or less severe than other variants. And we simply don't have that information right now. So I think we do need to assume that this is potentially as transmissible as Delta and will cause severe disease in the same proportion of people. Um, but we don't need to go overboard assuming that this is some kind of super variant or that it's that much worse. Um, really, the public health measures that we need to take to control it are the same no matter what. So there's no sense in blowing this out of proportion and being more alarmed uh, than, than concerned. Um, and I think that it's really important to underscore the difference between those two things. Yeah, that's an important point. Um, you know, when it comes to transmissibility and immune evasion, and, and these are kind of two different things, but obviously can go hand in hand. I mean, when we had the original alpha variant, it was a lot more transmissible, but there, there wasn't a lot of immune escape. Part of the concern here is we might see both of those properties, just given the, the whole array of, of mutations here. But talk about what we mean when we talk about transmissibility as, as opposed to, say, immune evasion. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So in the past, um, when we've seen more transmissible variants, first alpha and then delta, we saw that they had mutations in a very specific part of the spike protein, and that probably conferred that additional transmissibility. And so this, this Omicron variant does have one of those mutations in what's called the furin cleavage site. Um, that's thought to increase transmissibility. It has the same mutation that the alpha variant had. Um, so transmissibility means that, you know, it's not necessarily doing anything with regard to the immune response to this virus, but it makes it more likely that if you're around somebody who has this virus, you're going to contract it yourself. Um, it makes it easier, basically, for the virus to uh, transmit and infect a new host. When we talk about immune evasion, we're talking about mutations that were observed for the beta and gamma variants, and those uh, were in a different part of the spike protein, primarily called the receptor binding domain. This is also the spot of the spike protein that a lot of neutralizing antibodies are antibodies that can render the virus non-infectious attached to. So if those are, if there's a lot of mutations in there, the antibodies might not recognize that as the spike protein from SARS coronavirus 2 meaning they won't be able to effectively neutralize it. Mm -hmm. And it does have many of these same mutations that were observed in the beta and the gamma variants that were thought to contribute to this antibody evasion. But a critical point here that I would like to make is that antibodies are not the totality of your immune system. So even when we have a variant that is capable of some immune evasion, it doesn't mean it's capable of completely evading immune responses. And that's really important. People should realize that even if there is increased vaccine breakthrough, even if there is some uh, antibody evasion capacity for this variant, we're not back at square one as if we were not vaccinated or as if there is no immunity to it. Um, I think that that is so unlikely that it's almost impossible. A lot of this, you know, for, for the rest of us goes back to high school biology and, you know, mutations occur and mutations that convey an advantage uh, are likely to, to be the ones that, that thrive and persist. And, and we see that constantly with this virus and, and other viruses. So a, a mutation that causes increased transmissibility or causes immune evasion, we can see where, where there is advantage. When it comes to virulence, it almost seems contradictory that a more virulent virus would be less of an advantage in a way when it comes to spreading. Is there an advantage in a, a more milder presentation of, of, of illness? Is, is, is it likely that or possible that things might evolve in that direction? Yeah, so, 
so that happens for some viruses, but this is another big misconception that all viruses eventually evolve to be less virulent. Mm-hmm. And I know that, that a lot of people are going to think, what the heck, when I say this, because obviously <laughs> this pandemic has really dominated our lives for the last two years. Yeah. But from a virus's perspective, SARS coronavirus 2 is actually not that virulent. And that's because it primarily transmits before hosts uh, us become very severely ill. So I think that it's unlikely that there is going to be that selection pressure on this virus to become less virulent or attenuated, as we say, simply because the virulence is not being a hindrance to this virus moving from host to host. Now, that said, a lot of times virulence is actually quite incidental. Um, A virus is basically a little biological machine that's programmed to make more viruses. And so it's going to follow whatever evolutionary trajectory makes it easier to do that. It's not necessarily trying to cause more severe disease, but sometimes as it gets better at replicating in a given host, in this case, again, that's us, um, it, it can develop uh, ways to evade our immune system such that it throws the whole system out of whack and effectively causes more severe disease. We have not seen that any variants are more or less likely to really do that. Even the variants like Alpha and Delta that have been thought to be a little more virulent, it's really unclear how they are actually becoming more virulent. It could be just a factor that they are infecting more people uh, and that 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 increased number of people um, is resulting in more hospitalizations. So there's a, there's a lot that we don't really understand about SARS coronavirus 2 and how it actually causes severe disease. Um, but there's really no evidence that this virus right now is under any sort of evolutionary pressure to become less or more virulent than it already is. The, the thinking seems to be, and, it, and I think it was the, the case with Alpha, and it appears to be the case here, is that this, this may have been a situation where someone with a, an immune, uh, compromised immune system, maybe an HIV AIDS patient, uh, got sick with the virus and was unable to fight off the virus. And so it sort of bounced around almost inside of that patient and, and accumulated these, these mutations along the way. Is, is that likely the explanation for why we see something like this, especially with so many different mutations? So that's one hypothesis, and certainly um, what's called intra-host evolution has been observed in, in those types of immunocompromised patients who've been persistently infected. We see that all the time with viruses that do cause persistent infections like HIV and HCV or hepatitis C virus, but we don't actually know if that's the, the, where this variant came from. There's still actually a pretty big open question about where this virus even came from. It likely did not come from South Africa. They were just the first to detect it. And personally, um, so I studied the host response to virus infection in a number of different species of hosts. Looking at the sequence, a lot of these mutations have been associated with passage in other species. And I think an equally um, plausible hypothesis certainly is that it could have passed around uh, through a different animal species um, before jumping back into humans. But I think right now, both of those hypotheses, immunocompromised or uh, animal, what we call spillback, are both on the table and potentially also just circulation through unvaccinated populations. We know certainly that's where the Delta variant came from. Um, this virus is, is very unique in that it's, it's evolutionarily very divergent from the other variants that we've seen. 
but we also don't have complete coverage of all the viruses that are circulating out there in the world. So that's really one of the biggest open questions, I think, is, is what were the circumstances that led to this variant emerging? And I guess in order to prevent this in the future, I mean, I, the animal side is a whole other challenge, I suppose, but uh, vaccines. I mean, there's going to be, I think, increased demand for vaccines in countries or booster shots in countries like Canada and, and the U.S. But, I mean, clearly we, we've got problems elsewhere and we all have a vested interest, don't we, in, in getting global vaccination rates higher? Well, that's exactly right, Rob. And, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up because wherever this virus came from, one thing is certain, and that's for all of the variants of concern, we've seen them emerge from mostly unvaccinated populations. Um, Alpha emerged in the UK, right, when their vaccine uh, efforts were starting up. Beta, South Africa, Gamma, Brazil, Delta, India, all of these variants emerged from primarily unvaccinated populations. So whatever the circumstances, whether it's persistent infection, whether it has something to do with animals, um, vaccines are really going to be crucial in limiting uh, the emergence of future variants. And it's not just because the vaccines themselves will prevent uh, these variants from emerging, but when you have enough people in the population who are immune, they're not going to be as susceptible. They're going to be less likely to get infected. They're going to be less likely to harbor these viruses over a long period of time. There's gonna be less virus around overall. So the chances of a variant emerging uh, goes down significantly. Um, for this reason, I'd be very surprised to see a variant of concern emerge from Canada or the U.S. or other highly vaccinated countries. That means it's really imperative that we make sure that countries that haven't had the same access to vaccines, that haven't had the resources they need to effectively roll out uh, the vaccines that they do have, get that support and get it as soon as possible. Um, really, a pandemic is a global crisis and it requires global solutions. Leave it on that note, Dr. Rasmussen, appreciate the insight and uh, thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Always a pleasure, Rob. Take care. Likewise, you as well. Uh, that is Dr. Angela Rasmussen, a virologist at the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization, University of Saskatchewan. So an overview of what we know, what we need to know and why it's important to stay calm. Okay, our number here, 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. A lot more still to get to here this afternoon. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.